so deeply grateful to get to be with y'all this morning. Um, Pastor Rick was very gracious and invited me to stay after Wonder, and I fell pretty hard for the Women of Hills at Wonder, so I was glad to get to continue my crush and get to be with y'all on a Sunday morning. Before we open God's Word together, I've got a couple of qualifications. First of all, I'm not nearly as gifted or fancy as Pastor Rick, and so it's hard for me to stay up here. I'm more of a speaker. I like to be down there. I like to touch people, but y'all are lucky I'm not down there because I'm a spitter. And so I don't mean to be, but I get all excited about Jesus and I spew. So hopefully y'all are far enough away that it won't hit you. But I also realized on Thursday night, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And on Thursday night, I realized, oh man, I get to worship at the Hills on Sunday and I hadn't packed anything dressy. And I've been on a little bit of a weight loss journey and I'm still on it. Um, But uh, I had a really bad physical this fall. I'm an old mom and an amazing kid and I had real high cholesterol and I was almost diabetic. And so I had to just deal with my um, my extreme passion for chips and queso, and I still eat them. I just don't eat 10, 10 baskets of chips and queso at one sitting now. But all that being said, I couldn't find anything that fit. And I always tease and say I'm the Lisa in the middle. Um, Lisa Turkhurst is amazing and sells a lot of books. Lisa Bevere is an amazing anointed Bible teacher, and she teaches in leather pants. And I always say, I can't teach in leather pants or it would sound like ducks are being killed. And so Lisa came to my 60th birthday party last week and brought me, they, these actually aren't leather, they're pleather. So I'm very hot this morning. Um, I am, so you could, you don't want to see this, but it's basically projectile perspiration up under here. And so the reason I'm saying that is it's going to be a little squeaky. And so when you hear that, there's no augmentation. There's no special musical instrument. It's all me. And so I needed to apologize for the squeak, but this was all I had that fit, that usually I wear jeans, and I wanted to honor y'all and and not just wear jeans this morning. Uh, With all that being said, it would behoove us to pray again um, for God to visit us this morning. Reach out and touch that neighbor. Gentlemen, if you feel awkward holding somebody's hand, you can just pinky grip at this point. But let's pray before we open this love letter called the Bible. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the lion and the lamb. Oh, Jesus, thank you for that reminder you gave us through charity that you're worth everything, that you're worth everything, that we get to come before you with all that we are, that we don't have to curate our emotions, that you are a kind God, that you're a compassionate God, that you're perfectly holy. And you allow yourself to be accessible. So Jesus, we confess as your sons and daughters, we need Holy Spirit this morning to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that would be more responsive to who you are as our Redeemer and who you've called us to be as men and women that do take this glorious good news of the gospel to generations and to nations and to our next door neighbors. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your unconditional love for us. Help us to to see you bigger this morning, to hear the love 
letters, the love songs you promised to sing over us in Zephaniah. Help us to hear those louders. And Lord, for those of us who walked in here this morning with distractions in our hearts and minds, we pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you just dissipate those distractions so we can lean more fully into the arms of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We need you. We can't make it by ourselves. We ask all these things in your perfect name, the name that one day every knee will bow before. And all of God's sons and daughters, at least the loud ones said, amen. Um, I, I want to follow up on the video. That's kind of an older video. What it doesn't tell y'all is that I brought my little girl home from Haiti the year I turned 50. So I went through menopause and motherhood at the exact same time. And uh, it almost didn't happen for me. Um, I told the girls this weekend a little bit of my story. I won't, I won't belabor um, it. But the bottom line is uh, my parents divorced when I was a little, little girl. After that, some men came and went from our family who were abusive. And so by the time I was in the first grade, I felt dirty and damaged. I came to know Jesus as a little kid, but I didn't think he liked me very much. I thought there's no way a perfect God like that could actually delight in a dirty, damaged girl like me. Don't worry about the baby. I'm so tickled I get to be a mom that when I'm in a family of faith and I see people give dirty looks at somebody with a crying baby, I always pray they'll get hives. Um, Because I'm like, man, if there's one place... A crying baby should sound like music. It's in the house of God. So don't you worry one bit about that baby. That is awesome sauce. But anyway, because I, I, as a young woman, believe that there's no way God could delight in me, that he had delivered me, but that I was just too much of a mess to be used, I wouldn't say this was my theology, but I thought I just kind of have to keep my head down and be a good girl. And because of the abuse in my backstory, I was very drawn to abusive men when I dated. And so I often tease and say my husband is lost and won't stop to ask for directions because I'm 60 and single. I've never been married. It's probably squeaky pants. But, um, <laughs> but I dated quite a bit. I just dated abusive men. And so God protected me from them. And the few good godly guys I dated, God protected them from me. <laughs> because I was hot mess on a stick for a long, long time. And then the the good ones left when I got older. Y'all married, all of them, Um, those of you from Wonder. And so by the time I got in my 40s, I thought, there's just no way I'm going to get to be a mom. You know, I have missed that miracle because I was scared, because I believed a lie. You can be saved. You can know Jesus as your Savior and still be scared. And I knew Jesus as my Savior. I didn't know him as my liberator. I went to seminary. I memorized the Greek and Hebrew about freedom, but I didn't walk in it. And so when I was 40 years old, I went to a women's conference, much like Wonder, and I went to a breakout session on missions. And I thought it was going to be about foreign missions. I love foreign missions, so I thought, I'm going to go to that breakout session. And the girl that led this breakout session, she's a dear friend now, but I hadn't met her until that day. 
She walks in to lead the session, teeny, teeny, tiny. I was like, she's one of those keto girls that doesn't eat carbs. And then she started talking, and she was pretty bossy. I thought for a little petite chick, she sure is bossy. And she quoted a verse from the New Testament that says, if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christ follower, that's an incumbent upon you to take care of widows and orphans. And after talking about that verse in James, she paused and then she looked at all of us. There were like, I don't know, 200 of us in that breakout session. And we were like, you know, good Christian women. We had quilted Bible covers and stuff. And she looked out at us and she went, what are you doing about it? And I remember thinking, well, I didn't think I could do anything about it. You know, I was broken when I was younger. I'm 40 years old now. I don't have a husband. You know, I've lost my metabolism. My hair is chemically dependent. I think I've missed that window. But you know how somebody says something, maybe it's Pastor Rick, or maybe you're listening to a worship song. Maybe it's just you're in the drive through line for McDonald's and you read a bumper sticker. But God uses something to say something to you, and it, it kind of catches. It's like a hook goes in your heart, and the Holy Spirit just grabs you with something, a thought, and you can't quite get rid of it. And I thought, I just can't quite get rid of Suzanne saying, what are you doing about what is in orphans, the poor and the powerless? She had told us that there were 147 million, million orphans in the world as we know it. And she said many of them will die in third world countries from very preventable things like having access to clean water or medicine. And I thought, I don't know what God wants me to do specifically, but I know he wants me to do something. And so I thought, well, I'm going to ask my friends in my small group to pray with me and for me because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm not sure I'm going to hear exactly what God wants me to do. So I'm going to get my friends who love Jesus to pray for me. Four of them basically said, we've got your back. We'll pray with you and for you. One of them, just one, but she was from this church small group. She said, Lisa, if you've got time later on this week, I'd love to talk to you about God moving you in the arena of taking care of orphans. And I said, great, that's awesome. Now, this is free, and this has nothing to do with the hills. So if you're a guest here, don't be sending Pastor Rick emails. But if a really angry-looking woman with a quilted Bible cover and crop pants tells you she wants to meet with you in private because she has a word from the Lord for you, play dumb and take a friend. Um, but I told y'all, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so I met with this woman by myself over coffee, after a few minutes of small talk, she said, Lisa, the Bible says, now be careful if a hateful person tells you the Bible says, and then they use it to knock you over the head. That is not the purpose for the Bible. This is God's perfect word. I'm old school. I believe it cover to cover, cover to cover. I don't think we take out our favorite passages and slap them on Instagram. I believe from cover to cover, this is God's Word. I believe it's perfect. I believe it's inerrant for his intended purposes. I also believe at its core, it's a love story. This is not a rule book. It's not a collection of ancient morality tales. At its core, it's a love story. Even when our God disciplines us, he is a loving God, perfectly holy, but he condescends to be close to us. He doesn't use these words as a club or as a tool to shame us. So when she said, the Bible says... She had that attitude. The Bible says that the wounds of a friend are better than the kiss of an enemy. I knew she was going to use it out of context, and she did. 
She said, because the Bible says that, I'm going to be real straight with you. Rachel, don't you hate it when people say that? I'm like, you're about to kick me in the shins emotionally. She said, I'm going to be real straight with you. She said, I don't know if you are even considering adopting a child yourself. But she said, Lisa, you shared with a small group how you were molested when you were younger, how you were abused. And I know you've been to Christian counseling and all that, but just in case that didn't work, you might unwittingly transfer some of the trauma you experienced as a child onto a child of your own. So she said, I do not think that you deserve to be a mother because of the potential for abuse. She said, I think you've lost that right, but I know you want to nurture something. So my advice to you, my wisdom to you would be to go to the Nashville Humane Society and adopt a dog because you're really good with pets. Y'all, I should have recognized that that woman was a crooked little tree. That somewhere in her backstory, she'd experienced such a severe drought or storm that it bent her trunk and she wasn't bearing good fruit because what fell out of her obnoxious mouth was not congruent with God's word. I should have recognized that. I've been walking with Jesus since I was five years old. The problem is what she said resonated with the darkest purple bruise in my heart. I already thought I wasn't good enough. I secretly thought, there's no way God could do that for me. He can do it for you. But I'm too dirty. I'm too damaged. He couldn't do it for me. So it resonated with a lie I'd believed for a long time. Here's the thing about the devil. We tend to caricaturize the devil in modern culture like he's in a red Beyonce onesie with horns. That's not how he appears. He's so shrewd and so cruel. And what he usually does is he takes just a grain of truth and then he combines it with poison and we swallow it because it smells familiar. Because I already believed I was dirty and damaged when she said I wasn't good enough to be a mama. It made sense to me. I should have prayed for and said, God bless her. That poor woman is so broken, but I didn't. What I did was I took the adoption application I'd secretly printed out, and I put it in the very back of my file drawer at church. I was on staff at a church. And then the next day when I got off work, I went to the Nashville Humane Society, and I adopted a chocolate lab named Sally with bladder control problems. She was my third dog that season. She was a sweet dog. She was not God's best for me. I was too scared to step into God's best. I believed a lie for so long that what Charity spoke earlier was my reality. I stayed in the comfortable captivity of a lie. I thought this is all that I'm going to be good for is just to keep my head down and just work really hard and try to make sure God isn't disappointed that he lowered the bar to let me in. You can't reach the nations with that kind of crippling fear. It was seven more years, seven years, before I was brave enough to stick my toe back in the adoption pond and call an adoption agency and tell them that I believed God's best for a child was to have a mama and a daddy. But if they knew of an orphan that didn't have a shot at a mama and a daddy, and that orphan was probably facing death, that I felt like a loud, fluffy single woman in Nashville, Tennessee was a better option than death. Seven years 
before I stepped into God's best for me. I, I can't wrap words, and I've got a lot of them, around how much I love my daughter. She's so much prettier than your pale children. I'm teasing mostly. <laughs> but I love Missy more than I can articulate. The only grief I have about being Missy's mama is that I didn't start sooner is that I didn't believe God bigger when I was 40, that I didn't wait until I was 47. Sometimes I wonder if there were more children who would have called me mama had I not been so stinking scared. Fear is one of the greatest enemies of evangelism. It keeps us stuck. You might know Jesus as your savior, but maybe like me, some of them, some of you might not quite believe him as your liberator. Turn to Mark chapter 10, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. I know Pastor Rick has already covered this. We've talked about how both of us love Mark's Gospel. I love every book in the Bible. I have a crushes on every single one. I love God's Word. I love that it's mostly narrative. It's mostly stories. When people tell me the Bible's boring, I'm like, nope, you're lazy. Because the Bible is not boring. It's just if you don't take the time to get into the context and why God was saying what to that particular audience, how it applies to us. Now, it takes a little digging. It's just we spend more time on Facebook than we do in God's book. And so most of us don't realize how incredibly passionate and relevant this is. Mark's gospel is actually the very first gospel. When they canonized scripture, fancy word that just means when they collated scripture into a book, 66 books in one book, they listed Mark as the second gospel. But chronologically, scholars will tell you it's the very first gospel. It's the first literary compilation of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Y'all remember, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a pastor, so y'all can talk back. This is more like Sunday school than, than you having a pastor. So y'all get to be informal and talk back. Do y'all remember who wrote the gospel according to Mark. I'll give you all the chocolate in my purse. Mark, right. It's not a trick question. So Mark wrote the gospel according to Mark. But Mark typed it. No, he didn't really type it. He wrote it. But, but just think of him with an iPad and a Starbucks typing it. Scholars will tell you the narrative voice of Mark. Because for it to be an evangelistic account... Um, the word gospel or evangelism comes from a Greek word that means the good news. For it to be counted as a gospel, there had to be an eyewitness to the earthly life of Jesus Christ. So somebody else is telling the stories as Mark is typing them because Mark's not one of the original 12. Does anybody remember who the narrative voice, the person who's telling the stories, Mark is recording? Anybody remember who that is? Peter. And I love Pete. He's my favorite of the 12 because he is such a hot mess. He's always stepping in it. He has a big mouth. I so resonate with Peter. And remember Peter's backstory. Peter's the original Benedict Arnold. He threw Jesus under the bus at his most poignant moment of incarnate need, vehemently and vulgarly denied that he even knew the Christ. Jesus restores him. A month later, he goes on to preach the very first post-Easter evangelical sermon where thousands of people get saved. Don't you think it's amazing that when God says, who am I going to choose out of all the scholars all the brilliant rabbis, who am I going to choose to record the very first brick and mortar compilation 
of my son's earthly ministry. Don't you think it's amazing he chose Pete? Most of us wouldn't have chosen him. Most of us wouldn't let him teach the Bible, be an elder, do anything as a leader because his backstory is such a train wreck. And some of y'all might be thinking, well, Mark kind of balanced him out. It's like when I order my Starbucks drink, I get a non-fat mocha because I feel like the non-fat balances out the mocha and makes it almost paleo. And so you think, well, Mark was a good guy. Uh Uh-uh. No, he was not. Mark 14 tells us that Mark, as a young man, was outside the Garden of Gethsemane where Pete betrayed the Christ. And it says Mark betrayed him too. And then it says he dropped his cloak and sprinted away. Remember in the first century, men didn't have Haynes his way. So Mark was even worse than Pete because he betrayed him buck naked. So you've got these two yahoos that apart from them repenting and God forgiving them, they had no shot. They were just like me. They had really messy backstories. And God said, I'll choose them. I'll choose them because they're not going to forget how much they need me. Mark's gospel is just woven with the theme of compassion because John Mark, that's what they called him when he was younger. He must have been Texan. Y'all get double names. And then you go to Baylor and go, just call me Mark. (laughs) John Mark and Peter knew what it was to be desperate for divine compassion because they were not perfect men. And so they write these stories that just just epitomize the kindness of King Jesus. As a matter of fact, the whole first half of Mark's gospel, his euangelion, that's a Greek word, it's all about the compassion of Christ. Over and over and over again, there's story after story after story at the beginning of Mark where it talks about the compassion. The original word is splognizomai. It's the word we get our English word spleen from. Means from the guts of Jesus. So when he engaged with broken people, when he healed broken people, he, he wasn't doing it from a faraway place. He he didn't see the leper and say, Oh, bummer, dude needs a good dermatologist. That wasn't the that wasn't the 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 type of of ethos that our Savior extended when he was incarnate. It says from his literal guts, splachnitzomai. He extended kindness and grace. He looked people in the eye. He embraced them when he healed them. Then there's a turn, Pastor Rick will tell you, right in the middle of Mark's gospel where it goes from being all about the compassion of the Christ to the passion of the Christ. In theological context, that's not talking about an elevated emotion. It's talking about Jesus is set toward Easter. He knows his purpose. He knows he came here. He knows he came here to die for us so we could be reconciled with God. So first half is all about him encountering people who desperately needed healing and hope. He's compassionate with them. Second half, there's this turn. And Jesus is focused on the cross. It's called the passion of the Christ. There's a story that happens right here in Mark chapter 10 that I think is really pertinent to where God is calling you as a community of faith to take the euangelion, the glorious good news of this perfect God who loves imperfect people like us to generations and to nations. And it's right here at the turn. It's in Mark chapter 10. It's right after Jesus has given us his purpose statement. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And then here's a story. 
that Mark and Pete want us to get. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving, they're talking about Jesus here, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, hey, pumpkin, Jesus, son of David, he bellows. It's a big deal because Bartimaeus is ostracized. He's a blind guy, which means according to first century ceremonial laws, he's not supposed to be with the rest of us. If you had a physical ailment, an ongoing physical illness, you were considered ceremonially unclean. Remember in John's gospel, when the disciples asked Jesus about a blind man, who sinned, this blind dude or his parents, even the disciples assumed based on their culture If you have an ongoing medical problem, it must mean there's secret sin or unconfessed sin. So anybody with an ongoing physical problem, if they're lame, if they're blind, if they had leprosy, they're completely ostracized from well society. As a matter of fact, if we were first century Jews, you would not be able to come into this gathering if you had a physical, ongoing physical illness because they thought that if somebody who was physically, physically uh, struggling, if they touched us, then we'd get it too and we'd be ceremonially unclean. So Bart's at the back of the crowd. He's effectively sitting on the curb. He hears that Jesus is passing by. He can't see Jesus. He's blind. He hears people saying, it's Yeshua, it's Yeshua. It's that rabbi from Nazareth. I've heard people say he's the Christ everywhere he goes. Paralytics do cartwheels. I heard this guy could possibly be the Messiah. Bart hears this and he begins to bellow, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says many in the crowd epitomio him. That word in the English, it's so much better in the Greek. The word in the Greek, well, it says they rebuke him, is epitomio. It means to rebuke with the implication of a threat. It means if you don't hush up, we're going to hush you up. So the religious crowd turn to Bart and go, shut up. Just like that lady did to me. You don't deserve God's best for you. You're not good enough. You're too dirty. And I believed her more than I trusted God. And I just didn't do what God had called me to do. I didn't take the next step. Bart is so much braver than me, has so much more faith than me. They epitomize him. They tell him to shut up. And Bart goes, son of, he cries out louder. It says he cries out all the more. He says, I'm not studying you. You don't have the hope I need. You don't have the healing I need. Y'all give me all the stink eye you want. I'm going to get as close to Jesus as I can because if there's any hope for me, it lies with him. That's the Messiah. He calls him son of David. That's like a profession of faith. Because for a Jew to say Jesus is the son of David, they're acknowledging the Old Testament prophecy that says the Christ is going to come through the lineage of David. So he's already said, I believe. I believe you're the Christ. And y'all remember the context. Jesus is headed toward the cross and he stops. He stops. He's headed toward Easter. That's his purpose. And he puts Easter on pause. For one broken man, nobody else will give the time of day to. He's not a faraway savior. He's an up close 
personal redeemer. He sees you, he loves you, you're not an interruption to him. He'll never tell you to be polite and follow some kind of religious protocol. He will always say, come closer. He stops on his way to the cross and he says, bring him to me. Can you imagine that crowd of religious condescending hooies? Oh, oh yes, sir, yes, sir. Oh, oh, go get it. They bring Bart to him. Jesus says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you need? What can I do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I'd, I'd love for you to restore my sight. I always imagine him saying something like, Jesus, I've never seen my boy around third. My boy can hit. I'd love to see my boy around third. I'd love to see my wife smile again. He says, will you please restore my sight? And immediately, Jesus restores his sight, and that could be the end of the story, and it'd be a great story. I think it gets better. I don't think the biggest miracle in the story is the restoration of Bartimaeus' sight, as great a miracle as that is. I think the bigger miracle is how he changed Bartimaeus' posture. Bartimaeus goes from being totally checked out, going through the motions, just like I did at 40, I'll put my dreams in the back of the drawer because surely a perfect God like that couldn't use a damaged girl like me. And I'll just put my head down and I'll just try to do better. I'm loved and adored and redeemed by the king of all kings. And yet I chose to live like an orphan. My daughter has never had an orphan spirit. My daughter is brave and strong. They told me not to bother adopting her, that she would die before I got her home to Nashville. She's perfectly healthy. She's an amazing kid. She never, she never had an orphan spirit. I had an orphan spirit. I didn't believe enough to cry out all the more. Mark tells us Bartimaeus goes from sitting on the curb to following Jesus along the way. I know Pastor Rick has taught y'all that before we were called Christians, second part of the first century, we were called followers of the way. That's what they called ancient Christians, followers of the way. Bartimaeus is one of the few people Jesus healed who is named the leper in Mark 1 isn't named. The blind man in John's gospel isn't named. Bartimaeus in Mark 10 is named, which is why scholars can tell you definitively he was a part of the leadership of the early church. He was there. He followed Jesus to Golgotha. He was there when they had those home churches, when they were cooking with gas when it came to the gospel and thousands were getting saved from that motley crew of 11, men like Mark and men like Pete and guys like Bart were saying, you can't believe what he did for me. They didn't pay attention to the religious parameters of culture. They said, I, I don't care what's appropriate. 
He has so radically saved me that I I can't contain what God has done for me. They didn't have a program to take the gospel to the nations and the generations. They just couldn't help it. It was in them. They couldn't stop bellowing to everybody. Let me tell you about the God who changed my story. Let me tell you about the God who took me from having my head down and living like an orphan, like I only deserve scraps, to someone who knows he loves me on my worst squeaky pants day. He loves me. He calls me beautiful. Y'all, that's the gospel. And that has to be the catalyst for this campaign to remember as Bart did, he calls me closer. I'm his favorite. He loves me. If that's the catalyst for y'all, if you remember what he's done for you, how he said, Anna, Come closer, Jess, come closer. Rach, come closer. I love you. You are beautiful, baby. We begin to remember how much he loves us. It's going to be contagious. We will take this living hope he's lavished us with. We will take it to nations and the generations. We'll get off the curb and we'll go into the rest of the world with this radical love that has changed our story. Can I ask y'all to stand up? Alexandra's gonna come back and she's gonna wrap up this family meeting. I'm a guest. Pastor Rick very graciously allowed me to stay with y'all, so I know I haven't earned the right to be bossy at the hills, but I sense that the Holy Spirit has been stirring in some of y'all, it's time to get off the curb. You know me, you believe my word, but you don't believe that I've called you to more. I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring some of y'all. Some of y'all are called to teach. Some of y'all are called to teach some of those precious kids who left here about 35 minutes ago. Some of y'all are called to give more. Some of y'all are called to go. He didn't just save us from, he saved us for. He saved us for, and some of you have a stirring about the next chapter of your life, something God is calling you to. And as Charity already said, there will be risk involved. It might be a little scary. You might get a little stink eye, even from your family who already thinks it's crazy that you have drums in church. (laughs) And even now, Holy Spirit is going, take the next right step. Get a little closer to me. I've called you to this. If that's the chapter of life you're in and you feel like God is calling you to more, he's calling you to step further in to what he's called you to, to what's on your life, this next chapter, will y'all come to the altar? There's going to be people up here who want to pray with you and for you. If you don't yet know Jesus, maybe you were a guest, maybe you thought you were coming to an essential oils conference this morning. (laughs) And you're still a little flustered by the fact that it was church. (laughs) And something in your heart goes, for the first time, somehow this made sense. I think I can have a real relationship with the God of the universe, even though I was a hot mess in the past. Would you come forward? We love to pray with you and for you. Pastor Rick will baptize you. Water's warm. Um, Let's respond. Let's respond to the God who loves us more than we can possibly ask or imagine.